One Week Season. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the man you just saw run out of the picture is the very famous MME player, Mike Johnson. How are we doing today, Mike? Terrific, terrific. I'm uh, ready to hop back into it. This week's slate's a little bit smaller, 10 games, which I kind of like. It kind of naturally condenses the player pool and uh, creates some more you know, chalkier situations sometimes, um, which gives you more chance to create some leverage. Yeah. I'm interested to talk about a few of these games. We just got done doing the breakdown with Hilo and there was some unique spots there with a few of the games he has coming, especially with a couple of the trades that have taken place. And we're going to have a few of those here as well. So as Mike just said, this is uh, the edge breakdown. This is week nine. I can't believe we are halfway through the season already. It's, it's crazy to think we're already there. And we jump into a game that I did not actually think after the way both these teams have played would actually come in at a 48 over under, but here we are, especially with the Raiders showing how well they do on the East coast, but let's take a look at it and see where we land. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that stands out to me in this game, right. Is can the Raiders bounce back after that abysmal, abysmal showing in new Orleans the the hardest part was i finally decided to play jacobs who i'd been fading and i went with the kamara jacob stack which kamara was awesome right he did everything right. i needed him to do and on my single entry as we know i i was uh the bush to mr jacobs i'll, I'll take personal blame for that <laughs> um that was a uh i finally played him and man that was a that did not help my scores last week yeah, it's funny because like those two combined for 50 DraftKings points, which like if before the week started, if you were like, okay, yeah, you play Jacobs Camara and you get you're gonna get 50 DraftKings points, you wouldn't be that disappointed. But with how it played out and then with so many other running backs smashing, it's just like, oh man, I this roster spot with seven points is just destroying my dreams <laughs> yeah and my bank account and yeah. my <laughs> all, all of that involved so we saw the emergence of mr etn he is getting all the touches he's going up against a middle of the pack raiders run d and the other side of it we know though is the raiders haven't been able to stop the pass i wish the the Jags made a great move for next season and Mr. Ridley. I think that sets them up well for the future. What do you see with this and how do you see the Jags playing first from that side of the ball? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the Raiders defense in general just really has, has struggled. Um, they have not been consistent um, and they struggled. Obviously we talked about Alvin Kamara. They struggled so much last week with, um, him and stylistically Travis Etienne is very similar to like a Alvin Kamara, Deandre Swift type of player. He's, he's quick. He, he changes speeds. Well, um, you know, he, he can be used in the past game, get him out in space. 
He creates problems. Um, you know, the Raiders defense has given up 20 plus points in every game this year. And so, yeah, you look at a guy with ETN skill set. You look at the struggles that the Raiders had last week with Kamara out of the backfield. And it's hard to imagine that he's not going to see a very big workload. Um, you know, I think that the Jaguars passing game has, they've had just a weird run of poor game environments or poor matchups that's kind of kept them grounded. So their price tags are all pretty low. Um, so yeah, overall, I'm pretty excited about the Jaguars offense um, kind of kicking into gear here. I think that they'll continue the trend of 20 plus points uh, for every Raiders opponent this season. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun ways you can go with it. So speaking of kicking it into gear, are we going to see the Raiders finally try to utilize Devontae again? Yeah. I So like looking at the Raiders and you talked about their, um, but I mean, it was such a dud. They were awful last week, like zero right. points. The Saints defense hadn't been that good, but um, the Saints have struggled or had have been a good defense in the past. Their head coach is a former defensive coordinator. He had 10 days coming off the Thursday game to kind of get things right. And then this is where like my coaching background comes in where like last week they had Darren Waller. He practiced limited practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So they're thinking they're getting this key piece of their offense back. And then it turns out, okay, we're going to game time decision. And then he does the pregame workout. He's inactive. He's not good to go. So this guy they were planning on having, they don't have. And then Devonte Adams, cause he was sick. He hadn't didn't miss practice Thursday and Friday. So he's not getting reps. He's not getting in sync. And it just showed up. I mean, they looked like a team who had a bunch of turnover within their personnel and were just out of sync. Um, so really their performance isn't that surprising. And Adams, it looked like he was uh, limited on Wednesday in practice with the illness again. So I think he just probably was, he probably was still really sick or, you know, just, wasn't sick, but wasn't a hundred percent on Sunday and it showed. And so I think he's primed for a bounce back game here. Uh, the Jaguars defense has given up some big games through the air. I mean, they met, let Matt Ryan throw for like 370 yards in one game. So yeah, I think, I think Adams has to be a focal point. I kind of think it's unlikely Waller will be, um, will be active or if he is, it'll be very limited snap count. So yeah, I think I think Adams will certainly be uh, a focal point of the game plan early and off, and it'll be the type of thing where their first drive he's going to get like four targets. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it comes. This is what I thought as I watched them play last week. Remember that scene in Varsity Blues where they go out to the club and they walk out and the sun's up. Yeah. I felt like they did that on Bourbon Street. Like that's how. Like that's what I think the Raiders went and did. I think they went and snuck out past curfew. They all <laughs> went out to Bourbon Street all night and then rolled back in like, oh, Lattimore's out. We, you know, Jacobs has been smashed and we're just going to go run these guys over and didn't have the juice. That That's all I could picture from them last week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't rule it out. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Normally you see the other way in Las Vegas now, especially like the hockey teams. 
even a little bit with the, you know when some of like the bigger games are there but with the hockey teams when they're coming to vegas you see their performances for the last couple years and how they performed and if they were there at night early those guys were rough the next day mm-hmm. uh, i kind of kind of seemed like it it was how there but i think you on a serious note had a good point right Devonte was sick waller's out you know mac obviously ha- put up the points for them and I think this game gives some good leverage points off the field because of how bad the Raiders were last week. I think we're going to get some lower ownership, which actually excites me here. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, Jacob's price has come down a little bit. He'll still be somewhat popular and the running back, the the pool of running backs this week, isn't as strong as last week was. Um, But also he's not going to be like runaway. Like if last week just had not happened, if like you just erased week eight from the whole NFL and we were just sitting here with this game and Jacobs was coming off his previous three game stretch and he was $7,300, he'd be 35, 40% owned. Uh, he'd be 40% all day. Yeah. Right? So he's, you know, he's still going to probably come in at 20 to 25%. But, you know, if, if we're, if we're looking at the macro state of what happened last week, and kind of willing to be like, okay, it was, you know, they laid a dud, it happens, but this is a new week. Then, yeah, I mean, it's funny how, and one of the Oracle questions this week it talks about, we talk about chalk and what chalk actually means. And I think it's just understanding there's also times where it can be a player who projects relatively popular but if they're less popular than they should be, or they would be if the circumstances were slightly different, they can actually be like a, a player that they're creating leverage. Um, and then you look at Adams who with the other high priced receivers on the slate, he's kind of likely to go overlooked just because it's hard to click the button on the guy who just put up, you know, one point, like he had a one point game. It's hard to click the button on that guy for eight K when you've got all these other really good receivers in that same range, but he's got a chance to see 12 to 15 targets in a solid matchup. So, you know, sub 5%, that's, that's appealing. Yeah. That's uh, it's downright sexy is what it is. That's sub 5%. (laughs) Let's be honest at, at sub 5%, the leverage that's going to give you on the field is, is massive. So um, I'm interested to see where that goes. So, Speaking of sexy wide receiver ones, we got uh, Mr. Justin Jefferson and an interesting game this week, right? We have to talk about the big trade first that the Vikings went out and and got TJ from Detroit. Really interesting trade for me. And, And Mark and I talked about this. It says a lot to me. One, he was the eighth pick in the draft. And while he's owed 9 million this year, they just said, we're not willing to pay him. I think more than the passing offense that a lot of people have gone towards, I think this is going to benefit Dalvin a lot because TJ can actually block. Unlike Irv, Irv can't block. That, that's mm-hmm. one of his biggest issues is he can't run block. And TJ's from tight end university. He's a Hawkeye. Yeah. And he, you know, he has that ability. It gives him another weapon. And this says to me, the Vikings also think, Hey, we have a real shot to win 
you know, not only here, but to go deep in the playoffs and, and let's push and take a run at it. So I'm interested to see on where that goes and what they can do this week. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Hawkinson, he's not, he's not like a great blocker. He's not George Kittle, but he's not a, he's not a bad blocker. Like Irv Smith was so bad. Like he was, he had to be subbed out basically on running. Downs. Yeah. Irv so, is terrible. Yeah. So what it does is it makes them less predictable because their personnel, um, their personnel oftentimes was a tell for opposing defenses about what was coming. So now just by bringing in a guy like Hawkinson, a guy that can play 80 to 90% of the snaps, the defense, it keeps the defense on their toes. The Vikings should be able to play more no huddle because they don't have to substitute as much. Um, you know, and that's the type of thing where it just makes the offense flow better and it kind of brings everything together. Their offensive line has taken a big step forward this year. Um, Cousins is has not lit the world on fire, but he's been very good. But they've got two very capable running backs. Dalvin's kind of been their workhorse, but there's not really a drop off when they give Madison his, you know, twenty percent of touches or of snaps each week, and uh, yeah, there's there's just a, a lot to like for this offense in general, and obviously they're in the driver's seat for their division right now. So on the short term for this week, I'm kind of unsure what Hawkinson's tight end can kind of be a tricky uh, position to learn, as you know, especially coming into a new system. Coming on a short week, he was traded on Monday. Was it Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, I don't. I think it was Tuesday. He was traded at deadline day. Yeah, so you know, there's things with that. He's got to travel. He's got to get in. So it's like, well, I don't know how much of the game plan he'll be in. I'm more excited for it long term than short term. But I mean, he's gonna play, and I think just his presence is gonna help the offense. Um, and I'm the passing game is what I'm really interested in this week. Yeah, so that's, you know, so let's go over to that. Why bring up, I think it's good for Cook. You hit the nail on the head on it actually opens up for them. I'm going to relate it to the to the Phillies this week against Lance McCullers, right? Harper saw he was tipping, uh, tipping pitches, right? He calls Brom over. Everybody's seen the video clip of it now. If you haven't, go check it out. Harper saw it and said, hey, here's what he's doing. Here's where he's throwing his, you know, his curve and here's where he's throwing his fastball and look at it. And right. Brom hit one to the moon as well. And they ended up hitting five homers in that game. Mm -hmm. I think you said it best there where you're talking about, they had to pull Irv to run the ball. So they were tipping their pitches when they had to switch personnel out. I think Mm -hmm. while he might not be involved in the offense game plan a lot, I think TJ is going to get a lot of snaps in that it opens that door up, even if it's just a block and to, change it to where they can run that no huddle let's go game and what i'm excited about is on the other side of the ball with heineke now this is opening up this offense where this could turn into like an early you know detroit seattle game we're sure this you know this game's at 43 and a half but when we're said and done if this game's 38 35 would you be shocked would you be like oh my gosh we didn't see that coming would you are you willing to not look at that side of the ball? And I think that's in the range of outcomes when we start looking at some of that lower ownership and the upside ability in the things that could happen if this goes there and the Vikings are shredding them, then Washington's got to throw the ball to keep up. 
Could we see some nice correlation at low ownership? I think so. How, how do you approach that side of yeah. the ball, Mike? Yeah, so uh, very similar to what you're saying. I think that the Vikings offense, it's kind of a pass funnel situation against the Red, uh, the Redskins, the commander's defense. And they should be throwing the ball a lot. I think they're going to have a lot of success. And then, yeah, that just forces the – in the two Taylor Heineke starts so far, they played against the Packers in a – kind of a game that the Packers offense didn't really push. And then the, uh, the Colts last week and Ellinger's first start. So this is a, a very different animal and yeah, they've got weapons. I mean, McLaurin has looked reju- looked rejuvenated. Um, Gibson and, and Samuel have been used as nice pieces out of the backfield to move the ball. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think in the Vikings defense has, has been solid, but they're far from world beaters. I mean, they've, They've been letting teams score points. And when they've built leads, they're letting teams, they let the Bears score 22 points and kind of keep up with them. They uh, Last week, the Cardinals were able to keep keep pushing them, yeah. and it, it was like 60 points was scored in that game. So, yeah, the price tags are right. Nobody... Oh, if, Mike froze here. Just with how the game kind of sets up, uh, uh, yeah, Mike cut out for a sec. You there, bud? We lost him. I'm here. You, you got me? Yep. All right. We're good now. You cut out for a sec there. We'll, we'll see if we can edit that out and post. Okay. We're good. Yep. Okay. We're good now. All right. Yep, all set. Uh, where did I cut out? Uh, you're about three quarters of the Where'd way I through cut out? there. You're about three quarters of the way through that there. So, okay. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that you brought up there is, you know, how it let Kyler back in and the Cardinals were able to keep up. I think there's some interesting upsides here to this game. <laughs> like I said, at, at a pretty low ownership across the board and especially from an MME side, if you're playing multi-entry, I think you can get really unique with some of these lineups. Yeah, and none of the Washington guys are I think McLaurin's the highest priced at 5900. So, um it provides some salary relief. The other guy I want to talk uh, I want to mention is KJ Osborne is uh 4200 and I think Jefferson's I mean Jefferson's like maybe my favorite play of the week and he he's going to have a very good game. I think that's going to push Cousins to also have a good game and then I kind of like Osborne as a cheap option to kind of bring together a double stack Thielen's a little pricey for the lack of ceiling he showed. Um, But yeah, I think Osborne is a really interesting guy who could have like a four for 80 in a touchdown game. Yeah. I I wouldn't, uh, I want to be shocked because, you know, Hilo and I actually just talked about it. Thielen while he's been around, he has just not produced this year, right? It's not, he hasn't got it done. He hasn't been able to get it there for us. And that's been a little disappointing. disappointing. Uh, Mark talked about that was one of their bigger misses. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to what, if you looked at the schedule at the beginning of the season and you said, wow, like here's a game halfway through the season that I think could be a really fun shootout and everybody's going to be all over. 
we have the Rams and the Buccaneers. And quite the opposite. Um, what a mess for these two teams. They're just all over the place. You know, Brady came out and said it this week. Hey, we've had a lot of injuries. We haven't synced right. We haven't all been able to work together and get on the same page. And we got half the season left. We, we want to get there. Meanwhile, the Rams have Cooper Cup and then Cooper Cup or Cooper Cup. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely both teams have underwhelmed and that's putting it mildly. Um, the, the bucks, it's hard for me to aim. is just like, it's beautifully ugly, I guess is how I'll say it. There's the 31st and 32nd ranked running rushing offenses in the league playing against each other. And the Rams run defense is ranked really high in the Aaron Donald and everything. It's not like the Bucks going to get the running game going this week. And then you've got the, on the other side, the Rams backfield is in such disarray that they can't run the ball. They can't get a push on the line. They're, they're playing like four different running backs. So it's a thing where it's like both teams kind of don't really have much choice, but to throw the ball a lot. Um, and one of the things Brady has obviously been struggling with is uh, pressure, getting other teams getting pressure on him and pushing him off his spot and then being out of sync with his receivers. Again, we just saw the Saints, we talked about earlier, the Saints coming off that Thursday night game. They had extra time to prepare. They they came out and played really well against the Raiders. The Bucks just played last Thursday. So they've had some extra time. I would think that after – Brady was screaming at Evans and Godwin a couple times about miscommunications that uh, they had some extra study sessions. And yeah, I think that this is, this is a spot where you, the Panthers game was the obvious one where everyone was playing that Tampa Bay stack. And this is one it's gotten to the point where everybody's just like sick of it. And sometimes you just have to keep going. Right. Do you want to be, do you want to hit the one week you don't play it? Right. Yeah. And it's like the thesis, the thesis still holds behind why you played it before and the price tags are lower and the ownership is lower. So, you know, and I, the, a lot of narratives are, are BS, frankly, like revenge narratives and that sort of thing. But where, where it becomes different is when teams or players, it, when the coach or the person that's making decisions is the one who maybe has the narrative, like a running back's not going to try harder. They're trying to score touchdown every time they touch the ball. But like if Tom Brady says like these guys ended my season last year, they beat us twice last year. We need to get, get our offense right. And they're up 24 to seven in the third quarter. He's going to just keep tossing it. Like if they get it rolling, he's going to want to ride that momentum. So like, that's my thing is whenever the bucks get right, they're going to get right in like a big way, like a 350, 350 yards and four or five touchdowns sort of way. So that's where it's like, the longer this gets, the longer this struggle goes and the more the frustration builds when they do get it right, they are, they're going to really get it right. Yeah. It's going to be, you either own it or you lost all your money that week type of game. I'm interested to see too with cup, right? We have 
the Rams have not been very transparent as far as injury reports go and what's really going on. So I'm interested to see if Cup is out, everybody's going to pivot to Robinson. I'm interested to see if that can be a bring back. And more importantly, do the Rams they've shown, and you talked about it, right? They brought Ronnie Rivers out. They've said Kyrene's going to be the guy. They were trying to actively trade Cam. They're not using Henderson. They can't actually run the ball, but they keep saying we like Kyrene, and as soon as he's healthy, we're, we're giving him the rock. If he's healthy and, and cups out and Robinson's mega chalk, do you see any pivots any other way there? Uh, I don't think Robinson will be mega Chuck. He's just burned too many people. I actually think Higby will be the one that gets steamed up a lot. And then, um, that makes sense. I just, yeah. And I, I don't know that it'll be interesting with like Van Jefferson, Allen Robinson, Skoranek, those guys will all obviously play like pretty much every snap if cups out. So yeah, I mean, those are all interesting options, but it's something I've actually been talking about this week is, you know, in discord and stuff, people have been asking questions about bringbacks and that sort of thing. And I don't think you'd want to like force guys who maybe are in poor situations just for the sake of, of forcing them. Um, Higby makes some sense because it takes care of the tight end position, but it's, it's, it's a dicey situation. I think what, uh, if Kyron Williams is active, he profiles as more of like a space, like a, um, um, he's not like a big guy. So I think that what that does is that just leans them even more towards like, he's good in the passing game and stuff to yeah, where yeah. they become more of a spread type team. So, uh, and obviously, I mean, I mean, it'd be really interesting if he does get activated cause I think he's 4k this week. So in a week yeah, without a lot of value, it'd be interesting what that does to the whole slate. <laughs> Right, especially with what it could open up as far as right, all of a sudden you're saving that salary there yeah. on how how it can make such a big difference. So interested to see there and and we're gonna continue to watch that game. And we're gonna finish up here with the big NFC West division rivalry with uh the Seahawks and the cards, uh real close to 50 on the over under. I'm surprised it feels like Everybody's off Gino already when he's played so well. Am I reading into this wrong? Are we looking at this wrong? And, you know, how much better the cards are looking with hot back. I'm excited for them to get Hollywood back and, and see how they can operate moving towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Gino will still garner ownership. I think he'll be somewhat popular. He's, I mean, the fact is he's, a uh, quarterback who's playing in a one of the, it might be the highest total game of the week and he is sub 6k so and he's got two really good receivers uh that you can pair him with so he's I'd be surprised if he's not at least like 8 or 9% owned but i mean that's not like it's not like anything you have to avoid but it's also it's not like you're smashing him at 2% or something so, yeah, I, I don't think he's forgotten about. I think he's a fine play. Uh, Arizona's defense has, in general, been pretty good this season. They've kind of held things in check. Um, but also, so, yeah, 
you know, we saw last week in that Vikings game, the Cardinals offense and with Hopkins coming back, kind of their offense becoming more consistent being able to move the ball and kind of pressure teams more. It gives them greater chances to be involved in these little bit higher scoring games, which we've seen in consecutive weeks, uh, 60 plus points from their games when prior to that, most of their games were in like the 40 point range total. So, yeah, I think this is a really interesting game, especially because they played three weeks ago. Right. And it was a total dud. Right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say what's interesting to me is where you're going with that is we have right. They played three weeks ago. Tight end, you just brought up earlier, and, and we talked about it with Hilo. No, no elite spots this week. Zach Ertz is the most expensive tight end. Meanwhile, you have the opposite side where you know the Cardinals, for the most part, have just allowed tight ends to run all over them while they've been fairly strong against wide receiver ones. With having to get this variance right, where like last week you needed Conklin. Do you see yourself trying to get any leverage here with the Seattle tight ends and pivoting off of that to try to get a little more unique in this situation? For me, probably not just because this is a situation where the way they split up their work, you have to, you have to be right in pivoting to the tight end, but then you have to be right a second time on which tight end you play. And they have two main ones, but then they also they also play other ones too, who could like sneak in for like a ten yard touchdown or a you know they sneak out like a twenty five yard catch. It's like there's only so much production those guys are gonna have. So it's just a thin, thin needle for me to thread um, for like a limited payout. Like I don't see any of those guys having like like the Conklin game you talked about last week. Um, right. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think that. It's the type of game where you can play like a one-off piece from, but it's probably a game where if you can find ways to get like four guys from this game in your lineup and four or five guys from this game in your lineup, that's where you can bet on like, does this game like really shoot out? And cause that's the, that's kind of what it's going to take. I think for any of the pieces to become like, really paying off their price tag is just because of the way things spread out. Like you said, the way the production for opponents of the Cardinals kind of is subdued usually to the perimeter guys. And it kind of forces a spread out um, distribution and with their price tags combined with on the other side of the ball, kind of how the Cardinals operate. Kyler gets stuff done with his legs. Kyler and uh, Hopkins are both high priced. In order for any of them to really get there, I think it needs to be a really high-scoring game. And in that scenario, lots of them are getting there. So you want to—that's where you'd want to build around kind of the whole game or nothing. Is kind of how I'm approaching it. So will you have an exposure then with Walker this week on the running back side? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think he's a guy who you know Carol's been talking about. Like they haven't really even fully unleashed him yet. So I'm interested with what that could potentially mean. Is it, is he going to start getting some work in the passing game? Because if he did, if he became like a four or five target a week guy, even in the passing game, then he's about $1,500 underpriced. 
you know, and it's uh, with his explosiveness and what he can do to a game. um, Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. So on that note, as we're wrapping up the little bit shorter slate here this week, uh, I'm asking this question as we're halfway through the season. I know you really don't play as much season long, but let's talk about a little best ball and and who you're hit and miss for the season. Uh, I talked about two with Hilo. I got a couple more. Who is who has been where you were super excited to come in and thought was going to really have a big season, and you just you've he's missed this year, and vice versa. Who was someone that you don't feel like everybody really saw coming and, and has done really well and, and hit way above expectation for you. Uh, so the hit or the miss probably would have to just be the, the whole Denver saga um, that Denver passing game. It yeah. just, it that has been shocking and it's been talked about to no end for the first eight weeks or whatever. But yeah, looking back, it's like, man, and I have a lot of teams that are doing really well in basketball, but then you look and they've got those, they've got those couple, you know, they've got Russ and Sutton or they, you know, and it's just, it's not getting there. Um, And, you know, even losing Javante too, you would think that that would have like before the season, if you heard Javante got hurt too, you would think like, Oh man, they, they're going to be just airing it out and just throwing the ball all over the yard. So that would probably be the miss. The The hit, I would say, is the Philadelphia backfield. Um, I have at least one Philly running back on pretty much every roster, and I was taking two or three of them on a lot of rosters just because I felt really strongly about the Eagles in general. And um, the ambiguity had people kind of undervaluing Sanders, so I was getting him – in the eighth, ninth round, very consistently. And then just the way that they just can score points and they distribute the ball to their running backs. Uh, Gainwell and Scott are also guys. They've got a lot of exposure to. So there's a lot of teams I've got sitting in in very good position that uh, I think will continue to, to prosper due to that, that strategy. Yeah, it was, uh, I talked about with Hilo, my two of my biggest were, Tony, who I, he has a chance now, at least, right. Tony like, Powell. No, uh, no, Kadarius. And oh, gotcha. he's just yeah. been, yeah, he's just been a massive, massive hit for me um, as far as missing goes. So on that miss side, I told Hilo, I had a couple more for you and you hit him on the head. It's been, especially in season long for me on the higher stakes side, I went with a lot of rust because where I was getting him, I, I thought it was a lot of value and it's just been murder. Um, fortunately I was able to pick up Gino and a few spots and, and it's helped, but Russ and Sutton there definitely is somebody I, I have a, a bag full of that has not been as exciting to, to have. And then on the other side, um, I, I'm going to stick with the Seattle thing. Someone I I've had a bunch of is DK, you know, DK really dropped in drafts, uh, compared to where he really should have been going. And just like Tyreek, I'm just like, all right, I'm going to bet on the player. I'm going to bet on, you know, him being around or two better. And, and that's definitely helped for me. Yeah, that's same. Yeah, that was the other one I was going to say is on not every roster, but on probably 70 to 80 percent of my rosters, I have at least one Seattle receiver and at least one Eagles running back. And 
as you said, that's those are situations that have kind of have, have really paid off. Just everybody wrote off the Seahawks receivers when they're that talented, like, and it's their target share is so condensed. Even if they weren't winning games, they'd be seeing a heavy volume and still producing. So yeah, though, that was one that um, I think it sounds like you were on as well. And a lot of other sharp, sharp people. Yeah, it was value for me, right? When he started looking at that, that, some of those rounds and actual upside, right? I think a lot of, especially on the season long side where <coughs> DFS has helped me so much as I look at things differently, not just in best ball, but in the actual season long, if I'm looking at real range of outcomes and upside, and if I'm taking you in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, do you have third round up potential? And there's always going to be a, only a handful of guys, if that, that really have that, right? Like I was getting Tyreek in the third, DK in the sixth, like that, you know, those are where you can really make a huge difference versus letting some of that volume, you know, value fall. And, and I missed on the quarterback side, right? I took a lot of Russ and I didn't take, well, I have Allen and Mahomes, you know, and Hertz exposure. I don't have enough, right? I wish I had more there to really, you know, offset that. So always interested to see as we get halfway through the season, things we'll look at and it'll be interesting to see at the end of the season when we're having this conversation, uh, look back and say, wow, like, look who really turned it on in the second half and who, who really made a difference, who got healthy and, and was able to go there. You know, one of the things Mike talked about earlier is our discord's really active. We are in there actually answering questions for you from everything from props to DFS, to season long side. We'll even get answered for you and lots of opportunity there. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you guys there over the weekend and have a good one.